Welcome to the Wise Birth Radio. We are women, students, and mamas exploring healthy pregnancies, empowered birth, nurtured postpartum, and natural parenting from a holistic, intuitive, and grounded experience. We share knowledge through interviews, stories, and musings. We hope to inspire you to take charge of your childbearing journey for yourself and your family. This show is intended to spark your own curiosity and encourage you to listen to your body, your baby, and your intuition. I'm Mabel. And I'm Sarah. And we are your hosts on Wise Birth Radio. Hello, friends, and welcome. It is me, Mabel, here today, going for a walk on this pretty gray and chilly afternoon, but it is definitely spring, which is very exciting. I just passed some little poppies coming up. I've seen some nettles so far. The daffodils are blooming. Spring is coming, and all the trees are still gray, and you can see buds on some of them, but it's just a feeling that the green is coming, the summer is coming, the warmth is coming, and I'm very excited. Um, So I've decided that this is going to be the beginning of season two of this podcast, Wise Birth Radio. I honestly don't understand the point of having seasons on a podcast. Maybe it's just to separate chapters or for ease of searching I don't know so you can say it's in season three episode four or whatever but I've decided that this is the second season of this podcast it feels like time not to start again but just to acknowledge that things are changing I mean things are always changing but at this moment it feels like the next step in this podcast so welcome to season two of the wise birth radio if you're new here and you missed season one What happens is that I usually go for walks while Olin hopefully takes a nap and I talk about whatever the topic on hand is, sometimes with some forethought and research put into it and sometimes just whatever happens, happens. (laughs) So today is one of the the latter kind of podcast episode. Wow, I just saw a hawk fly really low across the road not too far in front of me. I guess this episode is being blessed by the birds. Um, I wanted to just sort of take it back to basics a little bit today and talk about the philosophical um, underlayment. Is that a word? Is that a construction word? I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, the underlying philosophy of the way that Sarah and I view this work and that has obviously impacted and is also foundational in my life in general. Um, So I'm gonna start off by talking about the wise woman model, um, which is based on the work of Susan Weed, who is an herbalist who's actually quite close to us here in upstate New York. I've never met her, but I look forward to it one day. Um, And she named these three models of care. There's the wise woman tradition, the heroic tradition, and the scientific tradition. Um, And I'm not going to go too much into the second and third of those. I'm mostly just going to focus on what feels right to me. Um, But I do just want to put a huge, not a disclaimer, but just state up front that none of these are better or worse. Um, none of these are specific to a certain kind of practitioner. So in the birth world, for example, you can't say, oh, you know, OBs are the scientific tradition and midwives are the wise woman tradition or even technologies. Like you can't say ultrasounds are the scientific tradition and using herbs is the wise woman tradition because there are ways to use herbs that are very scientific in nature. And there's ways to do an ultrasound that would be in alignment with the wise woman model of care. Um, So these traditions, these models of care, whatever you want to call them, are sort of big overarching philosophies. I'm thinking of it as like a bucket. And any one practice, any one individual, even any one like string of thought can belong to any one of these buckets. So like I said, just because you're an OB doesn't mean you are of the scientific tradition. 
but maybe there's certain beliefs that you have that are of the scientific tradition and there are other beliefs that you have or ways that you practice that are more of the heroic tradition and there are some things that you do or some ways in which you interact that are the wise woman model. So I think that's just really, really important to understand at the very beginning. So you don't think that I'm talking about wise woman model of care and this means that only women do it and only non-doctors do it and everyone who is a, I put it in quotes, holistic woman is practicing from the wise woman model of care because that is just not true and like everything else in life there's variety in every profession there's a variety in every philosophy there is a variety in every approach to using certain tools and so it all just comes down on what your your mindset or your intention is I suppose you could say when engaging with a certain thing so I hope that made sense because if not you're going to get totally the wrong idea from this whole podcast episode. Um, But I wanted to just start with reading some words from Susan Weed herself. See if I can find it. This comes from her book, Healing Wise, which is a great book, and it has some really beautiful drawings, too. All right. So this is sort of saying in in her words what I just tried to say. The three traditions are ways of thinking, not ways of acting. Any technique, any substance can be used in any tradition. There are scientific and heroic midwives as well as wise women midwives. There are MDs who are heroic and those who act as wise women as well as scientific ones. There are scientific herbalists, heroic herbalists, and wise women herbalists. There are preferred ways of working in each tradition granted. But surgery is not restricted to the scientific realm, nor is a shamanic trance strictly relegated to the realm of the wise woman. To determine the tradition of the practitioner, we must look at the thoughts that lie behind their use of any form of healing. Each one of us contains some aspects of each tradition, and these different aspects may want different things, at different times, or at the same time. The scientific aspect wants facts, the heroic aspect wants wants to be told what to do, and the wise woman aspect smiles and offers you a bowl of soup and some bread and cheese she made herself. As I identify the characteristics of each tradition, identify the part of yourself that thinks that way. So, as I said, I'm not going to go into each tradition, but as I talk more about the wise woman tradition, try to identify like what in what aspect of my life or what part of my being um, feels aligned with this tradition. And I know for me there's times where it feels like there's a battle between two different traditions when I'm faced with a certain choice or a certain situation where my initial reaction, often my initial reaction could be a little more heroic. And then I'll sit and think and feel into it and start to feel this like gentle urging of the wise woman tradition being like, yeah, okay, but is that really what you believe? Does that really feel right? Or is that just the patterning or the, what's that word I'm thinking of? Can't think of words today. Um, That patterning that you've been taught or that's been ingrained in you that isn't actually true to yourself. So, just putting out there that you can feel one foot in two different traditions, or two feet in two different traditions, and whatever, you know what I mean. Um, And it's often a matter of determining what feels best for you in that moment. And again, there is absolutely no right answer. We like to say that birth is safest where the woman feels safest. And that same thing goes with any of these things, like the best decision is the decision that you feel the best about. Other people may think it's the worst decision. It may not lead to the outcome that you expected or wanted, but the best decision that you can make is one that feels really aligned with what's true in your being. All right, so let's get into the wise woman model of care a little more. Going up a hill. This is one long hill of a walk. Um, I'm going to read another section here from Healing Wise about the wise woman tradition. Um, And getting into a little bit of what nourishment is, because that's a key 
principle in the wise woman tradition. Wise woman tradition is the world's oldest healing tradition. Its symbol is the spiral. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Life is a spiraling, ever-changing completeness. Disease and injury are doorways of transformation. Each whole slash healthy slash holy. Each one of us, oh sorry, each one of us is inherently whole, yet seeking greater wholeness. Perfect, yet desiring greater perfection. Whole slash healthy slash holy. Substance, thought, feeling, and spirit inseparable, intertwined. Good health may be freedom from disease, but it is also openness to change, flexibility, and compassionate embodiment. Even when dancing with cancer or healing from a serious accident. Uniqueness rather than normalcy. Not a cure, but an integration. Not the elimination of the bad, but a nourishing of wholeness slash health slash holiness. Nourishment of wholeness, health, holiness is invisible, simple, grounded, holographic, both and, ever-changing, women-centered, and compassionate. I really love this next section coming up, so pay attention. (laughs) Nourishment is invisible. Invisible as a bowl of soup. The World Health Organization says 90% of the health care provided in the world is given by women in their own homes. Invisibly. With a smile, a hug, a word of praise. In small daily increments, the wise woman builds the health of herself, her family, her community, her country, her world. She does it in the Tao, so she is invisible. Nourishment is simple. Simple as the weeds in the garden. Simple as in one thing at a time. Simple as in easy. Simple, common, single, unique. Open to subtlety, simply. The wise woman uses what is local and common, allying herself with one plant at a time, matching the uniqueness of the plant with the uniqueness of the person. Nourishment is grounded. Grounded as the earth, flowing with the seasons, ever-changing, ever the same seeking to increase the power of the patient, power flowing from responsibility, planting the patient in the ground to become rooted, to delve deep, to gain foundation, to grow up from, praising the gift of the body, the ground of our being, eating from the ground, locally, organically. Holistic nourishment. Holographic images, sorry, holographic nourishment. Holographic images contain the whole in every part, The more there are, the clearer the image. The wise woman nourishes all the parts of the unique individual so they become clearer, more filled with life. The wise woman herbalist gathers holographic plants, not active ingredients, not flower essences, but the amazing, complex, vital hologram of healing that her green ally gives away. A hologram that nourishes all parts, integrates all the parts, both and. Both and universe. The both-end universe embraces all possibilities, allows distinction, sees beyond opposition. Yin and yang cooperate, reach consensus, walking in beauty among the rainbow path of peace. We are all alive and dead, whole and piecemeal, healthy and sick, good and bad. No diseases, no cures, no healers. Women-centered, heart-centered, the wise women tradition has no rules, no texts, no rights. It is constantly changing, constantly being reinvented, open to the ever-changing perfection of the eternal moment. The focus is on the person, not the problem. Nourishing, not curing. Self-healing, not healing another. A giveaway dance of exploration and experience, with no answer to the question, why? No blame, no shame, no guilt, no reason, no answer ever to why. So that was a little excerpt from Healing Wise by Susan Weed. Um, Obviously this is sort of a lifelong study into this tradition, but I just wanted to give you a little taste again of where Sarah and I are coming from in our personal lives and in the way that we see the world and work with women. Um, The first thing that actually came up for me when I was reading that, well, two things. The first is, I don't know if you heard, but it mentioned the Tao and that whole passage just feels very reminiscent to me of the Tao Te Ching. 
speaking of what is invisible, what is always changing and always present, sort of holding this dichotomy in in one bowl, if that makes sense. The both and universe. Um, and the other thing that I was thinking of, because I've been reading more about the root cause protocol recently, um, was Morley Robbins, who is the creator of the root cause protocol. And he was, I heard a podcast episode with him recently, and he said something about how there are no diseases, only deficiencies, or something along those lines. And he was talking about how, you know, the way that we categorize disease is because someone said, well, this set of symptoms equals this label, and this set of symptoms equals a different label. And just questioning, is that actually helpful to label it, or would it make more sense to address the symptoms on at the root level, instead of just saying, oh, you have this disease, here is this medication that goes with that, but addressing every human as an individual, every situation as an individual, so instead of saying, oh, you have a cold, this is what people take when they have colds, because all people and all colds are the same, addressing each individual, so saying you have a cold that, you know, you have a lot of more upper respiratory situations, and maybe a lot of sinus pressure. So that would obviously be much different um, approach to treatment or different herbs or different whatever it is that you're working with than someone who has a cold where they're coughing a lot and it's moved down into their lower respiratory system. And then also, you know, even with that, two people who have the exact same symptoms, one person, maybe the energetics of their body is really hot and dry. So you wouldn't want to give them more warming and drying herbs or whatever the treatment is because that could push their body further out of balance whereas someone whose body is a little more slow maybe a little more watery you would need a very different protocol or treatment plan than someone else with the exact same symptoms um so that's getting to sort of the uniqueness of each individual and each situation and then i suppose even beyond that the same person could experience the same symptoms at two different times, but just depending on what else is going on in their life or what their, their mental state is or how they're feeling about it emotionally, again, those would be two different ways that you would address something. So just acknowledging that there's no, there's no right thing. It's just, again, what's right for you in that moment. And that's why I love the wise woman model of care so much. I don't remember exactly what it said about responsibility, but I feel like so much of what I end up trying to impart in our prenatal circles and our mother circles and when we work with women one-on-one is that ultimately you have to take the responsibility for yourself and make the decisions for yourself. And maybe that decision is, I want to work with you as a practitioner and follow your protocol or whatever it is but just taking that taking that power taking back that power for yourself saying I am completely responsible for my health for my decisions for my pregnancy for my baby and I'm going to make the best decisions that I can from wherever I am at the moment so how did I get onto responsibility oh each woman being individual so As someone who works with women, let's say, let's pretend that I am a midwife someday in the future, when I am a midwife, um, this applies in, by way of not having a formula for the way that you work with women. So for example, um, not having a certain set of tests that every woman should do, or not having a certain herbal protocol that I think every woman should follow. But instead, like giving women the data, saying, here's the options, here's tests that you could do, here are herbs that you could take, here are whatever exercises you could do for your certain situation. And it's completely up to you to make those decisions for yourself and for your baby. Because ultimately, there's no one that cares more 
about the health and safety of their baby than the mother does. I mean, I as a midwife might know more clinical data, might have more experience with birth and pregnancy, but I don't have that woman's lived experience of life. I don't have that woman's relationship with her unborn baby. I don't have that kind of communication with her own spirit and with the spirit of that baby. And so it's really not, not my place at all to say, here's what you need to do, this is what's happening, and this is the solution, or, you know, this is the best course of action. But really just to lay all the options on the table, to offer guidance if requested, to offer studies or science or statistics if requested, to just be there, to listen and to hold space for this mother to tap into that responsibility and tap into that knowing and tap into that connection with her baby because again I think that's such a huge piece of decision making I mean especially as a mother but even in pregnancy like our babies are telling us so much about what they need if we're able to really listen to that and sometimes it can be really hard you know like people who have had stillbirths or miscarriages and they had dreams for example of something that you know kind of let them know that this baby was not meant to come into this world in this way and that's that baby telling you what it needs even if it's really really hard to accept and to receive so not quite sure how I got there here but back to the topic of the wise woman model of care and how it will or how it does apply to our work um, I just wrote up a little page today about consultations with Sarah and myself and I realized that I didn't have that much to say about it because mostly it's if people feel in alignment with us and with what they know about us and really just feel feel called to work with us that way. I know that sounds a little like woo-woo and whatever, but people, I think, again, if they're tapped into themselves, if they're listening deeply, they know, they can feel who feels resonant, who does not. And so I don't want to sell ourselves and say, oh, we did this many years of school and we've completed these programs and we have these certificates and we've worked with X number many of women. I really didn't have much to say, more just like, we are here to support your journey. We, with whatever knowledge we have or our own personal experiences and stories. And I feel like so much of it is just holding that space for women to step into their own authority. Because really, when is that held anymore? And I, yes, you can get there on your own. I think that for me in my pregnancy, I didn't really have a midwife that I felt was able to hold that space. And the whole pregnancy and postpartum time for me was about stepping into that. But like so many of these things, if you have another woman there who's available to just sit with you and to say, I am holding this container for you to connect with yourself, to connect with whatever you want to call it, with God, with Source, with your intuition, with however you see that connection happening. It is so much, it's such a blessing to have that space held and facilitated instead of feeling like, you know, as women, I feel like a lot of us are, oh, I have to do everything myself. There's no one who can truly support me in the way that I need, plus I don't need help anyways. And I've been there. I am still there sometimes. I'm working on getting out of there. But I totally get it. And there's something really, really powerful in being witnessed and being held, especially in these huge life transitions. So, maybe I'll talk a little bit about the wise woman model of care in the postpartum time. I feel like I've sort of touched more on in pregnancy and in birth.
Um, in the postpartum time, I love what Susan Weed said about nourishment is simple as a bowl of soup. And nourishment is a key principle here of the wise woman tradition of care. And for me, so much, mm, I guess I just find so much joy in cooking for people, especially postpartum. And sometimes I forget that and I can become a little overwhelmed or too busy. That was in quotation marks, too busy. Um, but it just, it feeds me in such a delicious soul level to help to nourish these new moms in this amazing and unique time period. And that nourishment is so crucial in the postpartum healing process. Both the nourishment of actual food and the nourishment of connection, the nourishment of love, the nourishment of receiving. I did another episode, I think just two or three back, on the energetics of receiving in the postpartum and why it seems like so many of us are so bad at it. And it just feels like such an essential practice to allow yourself to relax into. So I wanted to share um, something from the postpartum caregiver training that I have been through uh, with the Sacred Window Studies. And this is the Universal Mother Principles. So these are not strictly Ayurvedic based, but based on experience as a caregiver and as a mother for the principles that, well, we're taught them as principles for care, what to bring, how to show up in this space of postpartum, but they are relevant for every aspect of life. Um, so the first one is simplicity. Uh, I guess I'll read the description here. On This is from their Instagram, Sacred Window Studies. Simplicity. Life is a lot. Birth is a lot. The postpartum window is a lot. Have you heard the phrase, it's like drinking water from a fire hose? This is like trying to take on too much during the week's postpartum or any time we're going through something. Simplicity. Taking things one thing at a time allows us to proce process and navigate effectively in so many ways. And again, that is so reflected in the wise woman tradition, talks of simplicity and just doing what you can at that moment, one thing at a time. So number two, flexibility. Oh my goodness, do we ever need this one? Postpartum, like parenthood, is full of surprises. As a parent, we thrive when we have the flexibility to roll with it without being derailed. As a caregiver, we are most effective when we can abandon the prepared plan for the needs of the moment. Number three, compassion. There is nothing so precious as experiencing compassionate attention from another. As new parents, our hearts are wide open and vulnerable. As conscious caregivers, we approach our work with reverence for the sacredness and tenderness this family is navigating. So this is speaking a little to the space-holding aspect I was talking about and just showing up with this love and adoration of this time and uh, being able to truly comprehend how special and unique and tender and sensitive it is. I remember being postpartum being like, wow, I can feel everything. Like anyone who walked into the room, I feel like I could just do an immediate emotional scan. Be like, okay, I don't want you in my space right now because whatever you are feeling, I feel that imprint in myself, in my own body, in my own energies. And, you know, it would be very, very difficult to go through life like that, but I think that's such a gift of the postpartum time and needs to be really honored and protected. Okay, that was compassion. Number four, listening. Digestion is not only a physical process, it is an emotional and mental and spiritual process as well. When we share our experiences with others holding space for us, we can integrate, digest what we experience. So often caregivers feel they need to be doing something and feel badly if they sit and talk for too long. Listening is an art form, it is valuable medicine. I think it's an art form that 
is not used often enough these days. Which is sort of back to what I was saying about consultations. Like, yes, we can offer guidance. Yes, we can talk. And yes, absolutely, we are there to listen. Um, I had a friend who was planning to come over in my postpartum time. And, you know, we had all the things to do and making the tea and washing the whatever and doing a steam. But in the end, I was like, can we just, can we sit here? Can you just be with me and hold the space and listen to whether it's actual words or just like listen to the energy of my body, listen to just give that space for my spirit to express itself, if that makes any sense. All right. Number five, intuition. When we trust ourselves, when we trust the process of those we care for, we are more able to be guided by intuition. It is tapping into our inner wisdom and guide that allows us to gain confidence as a parent and as a caregiver. Of course, there are helpers, and of course, we are always learning from others, but your wisdom is priceless. And that yours for whomever is listening to this. I think that Pregnant women especially, it seems, but often people get told, oh, you know, listen to your intuition. And as a society that is so far removed from that, and as individuals who don't really have a practice in that, that can just be so frustrating. It's like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know. I have no idea what my intuition is telling me to do about this situation. I'm scared, and I've had... 17 different people's experience projected on me and 16 different words of wisdom and five different recommendations and I don't know what my intuition is saying and it can feel really frustrating and I don't ever want to to put a woman in that position where she's saying okay I hear like whatever trust my intuition listen to my intuition but what if I can't hear it and I think that's why it's such a crucial thing to practice at all times in your life and maybe trusting your intuition to me means, well, not maybe to me, sorry. Um, to me, trusting your intuition is often the same as listening to your body. Because, you know, I'm sure most of you have heard about muscle testing, where your body will either be weaker or stronger when you hear or say certain things that's indicating what is true for you or not. And I listened to an interesting talk recently where someone was saying that intuition is based on experiences. So, for example, when we tell new parents to just trust their intuition, they may not have come across these specific experiences before, so they don't have that well to draw on. But I would argue that they still do have the relationship that they've cultivated with this child, both in utero and now that it's been born, and their entire lived experience of similar situations to draw on, to help guide their intuition. And then as caregivers or birth workers or whatever it is that one is, um, I think that trusting, I know that trusting your intuition is equally as important it's not just, oh, the mom says this is her intuition, so that's what we're doing. If that doesn't feel good for you, you need to acknowledge that and, and speak that. And I think I'll get, on that, get to that a little bit more after I finish the universal mother principles. So, number six is grounding. Air and space are the elements that surround postpartum at any time of major transition. So in Ayurveda, this is vata. Surround yourself with qualities such as warmth, slowness, steadiness, heaviness, solidity, softness, smoothness, oiliness, and things that are viscous. So this is a little more specific to postpartum and not so much generalized for the wise woman tradition, but I think the, the concept of grounding and of slowing down is so, so important for this tradition. All right, number seven, and the final universal mother principle is non-judgment. My way is for me, and your way is for you. We are all on a mission to be our best. We all wish to love and to be loved in return. We all want to care for our children. We all want to experience safety, joy, and the opportunity to thrive. Empower yourselves to be the best. Empower yourselves and your clients to be the best that they can be. 
Empower yourselves and your clients to be the best they can be in a way that resonates with them. And this is going back again to what I was reading by Susan Weed about the duality, the boat, the and or, and just really trusting that that women know what's up. Women know what they need. Okay, so I want to go back to what I was saying a second ago. Nope, I take that back. I want to go back to the very beginning when I said that the wise woman tradition, the symbol of it is a spiral. And so in that, um, let's put myself in the place of a pregnant woman or a mom. I am at the center of my own spiral. I am deeply centered in myself. And I know that I am hmm, the focal point of my experience. Not in like a, an egotistical, I'm the most important, I'm the best. Everyone needs to listen to me sort of way. But being really grounded in my own authority and again, responsibility. Saying I am 100% responsible. And this means that other people, that caregivers, that midwives, that OBs, that chiropractors, that partners, are then on various loops outside of the spiral, depending on how close they are. And so they're still part of the whole picture, often an integral part of the picture, but they are not the center. But then, not but then, and then, because this is and or, um, and then from perhaps the view of a midwife, she is also the center of her own spiral. She is listening to her intuition. She is trusting that she is connected to what she needs to be. She is trusting her own body, whatever messages she's receiving. And she is also 100% responsible for herself. So in this scenario, the midwife is not trying to take responsibility for the client. Is not saying, oh, I can guarantee you a certain outcome if you do things my way. Or, oh, if things don't work out, it's because I messed up. The mother is not trying to give that responsibility to the midwife by saying, oh, just, you know, you'd probably know best to make decisions for me. They are each, as I said, the center of their own spiral. Which means that, I'm trying to imagine like spirals interlocking right now. <laughs> Maybe if one of them starts to spin in a different direction, or in some way their spirals are not meshing or not feeling compatible anymore, it's the responsibility of both of them to discuss it, to figure out how to navigate from there. So let's say the woman is feeling totally centered in her own spiral and is saying, you know, I, I had this test and the numbers were not quite what was expected, but I feel fully confident in my body. I know that my baby is safe and we're gonna continue in this direction. And that is amazing. And that's great that she's listening and tapped in and making that decision with her own responsibility and authority. And let's say the midwife then feels like, you know what, I'm not comfortable with this. I respect that you're making this decision and I don't feel comfortable supporting you in this anymore. And so it's not, it's not like firing a client and saying, oh, you've risked out, I put that in quotes too, risked out of my practice or you're making bad decisions. But if the midwife is truly centered, she can say, okay, I honor these decisions that you're making. I don't feel comfortable walking with you anymore. Wish you the best of luck. And I'm gonna walk in a different direction. And I feel like that's so important for anybody who is any kind of practitioner that could be perceived as an authority. To acknowledge that, first of all, you're not the authority and people should regain their own inner authority. And second of all, if someone is doing something that doesn't feel good to you, you have complete responsibility to remove yourself from that situation if you feel like that is needed. I mean, it just seems like a really simple metaphor is sex. Unless both participants or yeah, both participants are feeling like this is fully right right now. This is 
I feel safe and I am happy about what's going on here. Unless both participants feel that way, it's up to the person who is feeling uncomfortable to speak that and to change things. It doesn't matter the roles or the hierarchy in quotes. This is getting back now to midwife and pregnant woman, not sex. It's up to both individuals to say, here are my limits. So yeah, I feel like that's a really important thing for Sarah and myself, stepping into the future as midwives to remember that. And also, it doesn't have to be like, oh, you're doing something that I feel is risky. But for whatever reason, if someone on either side of the coin is not feeling like it's truly aligned to take the steps necessary to either rectify the situation or remove themselves from the situation. I really admire midwives who are more selective with who they take on. I think there's sort of this old school midwife mentality, which I totally get of like, oh, there's not enough midwives anyways. We need to serve anyone that comes to us that wants a home birth. And on the one hand, I appreciate their openness to service. And on the other hand, I think that can be really damaging if they end up working with women who are not aligned. I think it can be really draining and damaging for the midwife emotionally. And I also think that it can lead to not as great birth outcomes. Like I said, if birth is safest where the woman feels safest, this might be a little convoluted, try to stay with me here. Birth is safest where the woman feels safest, but the woman can't feel that safe if there's people in her space that aren't feeling safe with the situation. Does that make sense? So for example, a woman is working with a midwife, the midwife just for whatever reason doesn't feel super aligned with the client, but there they are in the birth space and this midwife has whatever hesitations, whatever fears, whatever judgments, they're bringing that to the space and the woman on some level will feel that and that will impact her birth experience. So being at the center of your own spiral as a care provider can sometimes be hard. Be saying, you know what, I'm just not the person for you. And I know that you may feel like I'm the person for you, but but I'm not, I don't feel good about this. And obviously probably saying it a little more gently than I just did, but it's the general gist of it. And I imagine that that could be really hard, especially because there are so many women who maybe would love to have a home birth, but there aren't the midwives around for them, which is a whole other issue, completely. <laughs> um, so I feel like I've just about wrapped this up talking about the wise woman model of care. Oh, I feel like I was going to say that both this tradition of care, the wise woman tradition of care, and these universal mother principles have so impacted my mothering. Having learned about them and really started to try to embody them previously to even being pregnant, it was such a helpful practice or way of being that really has positively impacted my mothering. This ability to be slow, to accept the duality of things, to nourish myself and my son and my family in really, really simple and invisible ways. And that's been really beautiful and I would encourage you if you are feeling resonant with this wise woman model of care to check out more about Susan Weed, maybe read a little more about it. But again, because this wise woman tradition is all about looking inward and connecting with yourself, honestly, the best resource that you have is internal. Um, and that might sound a little cheesy or a little, uh, not impractical, a little vague perhaps. But I feel like that's the work that so many of us need to do, is to not necessarily totally block out, but learn to tune the dial 
away from outside opinions, outside influences, and just learn how you can tune it inward to really deeply listen. Um, So this is sort of the spiel that I wish I could give every single woman that comes to our prenatal circle or mother circle or that I've ever talked with about a potential complication or question about pregnancy. Because it always, to me, it comes back to, okay, well, here's the information and you need to make the choice that feels best for you. And it may not be the same as your best friend. It may not be what your doctor wants you to do. It may not be what your partner wants you to do. It may not even feel like something that you would ever have guessed that you want to do. But the most important factor in this decision making is feeling grounded and making, taking responsibility for your decision. So it isn't just some like, oh, you know, I listened to my intuition and, and everything is great because it might not always happen like that, but fully taking responsibility, no matter what the outcome of things is, for saying, I made these decisions, standing in my power, in my own knowledge, in what I thought was best at the time, and it led to these outcomes, whether they're positive, whether they're challenging, and just really try to take in that lesson of, okay, so let's say, for example, I... I'll use myself as an example. When Olin was two weeks postpartum, we decided to take him to the laser dentist guy to get his tongue and lip ties lasered. And at the time, I really sat with that for a couple days, like, what feels like the best decision in this moment? And I researched a little bit, and I listened to some podcasts, and I talked to some friends about it, and that was the decision that I ended up feeling the best about. So we did it. And there were no horrible consequences of that, but I definitely wonder now. I mean, I don't wonder, was that the best decision to make? Because at the time, that was the best decision to make. But, for example, like, if that happened again, would I make that same decision again? And I don't think that I would, just because now I'm in a different place. And maybe, you know, with the next baby, if they have a similar situation, for whatever reason, the the actions required will be totally different. So with that radical responsibility also comes or also requires a radical acceptance of outcomes. All right, so I hope this was a little brief um, philosophical overview of the wise woman tradition of care and how it applies to the work that Sarah and I do. Um, You can, again, find out more about Susan Weed. She has a couple great books, one for specifically pregnancy, um, a couple on herbs, I think. Um, And the other thing that I was reading was from Sacred Window Studies. They have a conscious postpartum caregiver program, which is amazing. Um, Even if you don't plan to be a postpartum caregiver, Honestly, that introduction to a sort of an Ayurvedic lens of life has really impacted my life in only positive ways. I actually took the course twice, once when I was pregnant, because I just felt like I needed a, a refresher and a re-grounding into those principles. Um, so I would definitely recommend checking out their program. They also have talks regularly, um, and oh, they have a shop with all kinds of like yummy geese and herbal things and a bunch of amazing books, mostly on the postpartum time. What else do I have to plug? Oh, well, when I was talking earlier about cooking postpartum food, this has been coming up because I recently decided to offer a postpartum cooking service here locally in the Hudson Valley Catskills region. Um, This was an offering that I feel it really... um, rose what's the word I'm thinking of (laughs) it really just like bubbled up super organically so I don't have some like 17 step marketing plan or you know content planned out for months on how I'm going to advertise this 
it just kind of came up as like a very quiet, this is something that it's time to do now. Um, so I'm doing it and I would love to feed you. So if you are in our area and you're planning your own sacred window, please, please reach out. I would love to talk about what your needs are and how we can work together. Um, or if you know someone in this area, like what better gift could you give at a baby shower or whatever than postpartum nourishment? I have a little thing on my website that says, new moms don't need more onesies. Um, and this is such a foundational piece for health, for as they say in Ayurveda, 42 days, that's the sacred window of postpartum, for 42 years. So the way that you are cared for or care for yourself can really have long-lasting health effects, impacts. And I would love for them to be positive and for you to feel like your strength is being rebuilt on a, a really grounded foundation. So anyways, you can find more about that on our website. Um, if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review. Um, I honestly don't know where reviews go on anywhere other than the Apple podcast app, but maybe leave us a review there, or I think you can review things on Spotify. I'm honestly not sure. Um, and I would love to hear not only just, you know, how much you love us, but also if you have anything that you would like to hear about, any topics you'd like to have us cover, leave that in your review too. All right. Oh, and also if you're local, as I mentioned, we have our prenatal and mother circles. So those are two different circles. They're each once a month in Kingston, New York. Um, so come hang out with us meet some other lovely ladies, have some snacks. We'll get into all of the juiciness of this really special time of being a woman. All right, see you next time. So long.